Do you guys know what July 4th is, people? No, not my French Bulldog's birthday. It's also the United States' birthday. And in honor of the great USA, the red, white, and blue Let's Run.com t-shirts are on sale. The annual July 4th sale. Not one for 30, one for 20. That's 33% off. Get it today, one day only, July 4th. But since you're a podcast listener, if you don't happen to get it on July 4th, you know the code USA, USA. And you can still get it for $20 if you're listening to this like on Wednesday or Thursday. Welcome to the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. What an episode we have for you today. Since we last spoke on the regular Tuesday podcast, we've had two Diamond League meets. Pierre D'Amato has broken the American record in the half marathon. Parker Volby has signed an NIL deal. And with one stroke of the pen, the Oregon coach Jerry Schumacher has decimated the Stanford team as Charles Hicks has gone pro and signed with Jerry Schumacher. Joshua Cheptegei has announced... He'll be making his marathon debut in Valencia. Should we expect a world record? 202 Marathoner has been popped and is looking at a 10-year drug ban. Speaking of drug bans, someone on a drug ban has set a world record in the beer mile. Congratulations, Shelby Houlihan. And oh yeah, the U.S. Championships begin on Thursday. Let'sRun.com co-founder Robert Johnson welcoming you to the show. Genetic equal. Guy that's just a little bit better than me at everything, including family now. He has two children. I only have one. Weldon is on maternity leave. A staff writer. Jonathan Gold is here. John, you're wearing a green Oregon shirt. I guess you're ready to hop on the plane and head out to Eugene tomorrow. It's a Tritown pizza, baby. Yep, that's going to be probably Wednesday night. I get in Wednesday, and the meet is in the evening every night thursday friday saturday sunday so that might be my best opportunity to stop by cnbc and all that sort of stuff yeah i'm excited for it robert you know the meet starts on thursday july 6th that's why you know today i think today is right is a holiday right this is july 4th observed i don't know i mean i know my sister has today off but we're here on monday pounding out the podcast because we need to give people a preview of the u.s championships it's going to be fantastic we've got some great races at Haywood Field. We talked about the men's 1500 on last week's pod, but the men's 5K is going to be fantastic. We've got the men's 100 and 200, women's 100 and 200 among the most competitive national championships in the world in pretty, pretty much every event. It's USA. So it's going to be a whole lot of fun, and we'll have boots on the ground. We'll make some picks this week on the podcast today and yeah, lots of other stuff to talk about. I mean, these diamond leagues, Lausanne, if you guys missed our Lausanne recap, we did our Friday 15 on the Lausanne diamond league right after Jakob Ingenbrigtsen won yet another 1500 right after Barry, who Aragawi won a fantastic 5,000 meters over Joshua Chep, the guy 1240 to 1241. We broke that whole thing down. So make sure you join the supporters club. Let's run.com slash subscribe if you want access to all of our Diamond League post-meet shows. But Robert, do you have any final thoughts on Lausanne? Anything else you wanted to add before we get to this week's action? 
definitely want to talk about it. But yeah, sign up for the Supporters Club today. I'm saying it right now, Jonah. I'm going to do a live daily show from Eugene while I'll be here in Baltimore. How do I? I might have to do it by myself. Weldon's on paternity leave. You're getting the interviews. It just made me be going live right after the meet, or maybe I'll wait till you get back to the place. But well, I'm worried, Robert. These this meet ends pretty late East Coast. On yeah, you know, the TV window is like nine to eleven p.m. So I just want to make sure you're going to be awake. That I'm gonna, I won't be there in person with you. So you're going to have to limit your IPA intake to two per episode. Otherwise, we're going to go totally off the rails. But yeah, that that'll be fun to recap the action. Lazan was so much fun. The entire Diamond League, maybe except for this last meet on Sunday, has just been amazing this year. But my biggest takeaway in Lazan is just what a talent idea I am, John. Like, again, a shoe company should be hiring me. I mean, once Yer Nagus had won the NCAA title in the 1500, I said, wow, this guy's really good. He's going to make the Olympic team. And once Barahu Aragawe had gotten fourth in the Olympics, I said, wow, this guy's pretty damn good. And he's a lot younger than Grant Fisher. Everyone thinks Grant Fisher's going to medal just because he's fifth in the Olympics at age 22 or 23 or whatever he was. Like, not necessarily. There's always younger guys coming up. And Aragawi, just how impressive was that? 1240 from the front. And the stat that made me scream during the Friday 15 podcast was, you said, Robert, do you know what his last 3,000 was? 730. Yeah. And this isn't wave light because he was ahead of the damn wave light. And he was doing that all by himself. And God, I wish this had been an Olympic final, a world championship, really the Olympic final. This would have been a race that made Steve Prefontaine proud. And the guy who actually does all the work wins the race because the world record holder, the Olympic champ, was teed up right behind him coming off that final turn. And... I was screaming for Aragawi to win it because he deserved it, and he did. But just the 5,000 has been amazing. And, and this is why you, you you know, it's it's hard to predict the future. Remember when the 400 hurdles was like the worst event in track and field, and they always put it at the beginning of the Diamond League so they could quickly get the hurdles off the track. And then the the, the geniuses that run the sport said, oh, we're going to get rid of the 5,000. That's no fun. Thank God they didn't do any, either one of those things. So it's it's just amazing. But – it's also hard to believe, John. Aragawi was the same guy around this time last year that just dominated the, the, the pre-classic. What do you run? 12.50 from the front? Yep. Didn't medal or world. So I was saying this is bad news for Grant Fisher, but maybe Aragawi, maybe it's another case of him hitting it too hard too soon, but it's just, you look at the talent in the 5,000, Aragawi, Cheptegai, Kajelcha, Kaplimo. That's four guys at 12.41 or better. I said, you get Katira in there, you get Jakob Ingebrigtsen, you put a huge seven-figure cash prize on the world record at 1230. I mean, I think any of those guys could get the world record, and we don't know who would win. It's just going to be amazing. It is. And, Robert, you point out, like, you know, is he going to be able to hold on that kind of form and fitness until the world championships? I think it's a fair question because one of the reason all these diamond leagues have been crazy recently is – the Ethiopians, they pick their team based on season's bets in the 5,000 meters. So all of their best guys, whether it's Kajelcha, Barrega, Aragawi, Telehun Bekele, they all want to go out there and crank out at least one really fast time. So just to get picked onto the team, I mean, they had Ethiopia by itself 
had three guys in this race break 1250. It's just, it's hard to get on that team to begin with. And sometimes it means that they're a little burned out by the world championships. I mean, obviously, Mukhtar Idris won two straight, 2017 and 2019. But in the last two global 5,000 meter finals, the highest Ethiopian, fin- this is what the Ethiopians have done. Last year at Worlds, Yomif Kajelcha 8, Selamon Borega 12th, Mukhtar Edris 13th. And 2021 Olympic final, they had one finalist and he finished 10th, Milkesa Mengesha. So it's not a guarantee these guys are going to be around or at this level in August, but I certainly hope so because seeing what Aragawi did in Lozano is a thing of beauty. One question I have is where the hell is Kenya? 5,000 is amazing this year, but I mean, you said Jakob or Jacob Krop, who was the silver medalist. I mean, what's crazy about this stuff is all this talent is in 5,000, and it's none of the medalists from last year. Jakob being a Britson, the, the, the world champion, is not going to run a 5,000 before Worlds. Uh, Jakob Krop of Kenya, the silver medalist, yeah, he did run 1255 in Florence. But where's Nicholas Camelli? I, I don't even see him. Has he run, John? I'm, I'm pulling up the wrong Nicholas Camelli in my results database. Nicholas Camelli, a.k.a. Nicholas Kipkoria. Yeah, I I don't know what he's been up to. Uh, he crop ran Florence and finished eighth in 1255. Kipkoria has run... He ran Florence as well. He was 15th in 1310. So... They they don't look to be in the same. I mean, twelve fifty five. That I'm not gonna. I'm not that worried about that one. Thirteen ten is pretty pretty awful though. Well, Aragawe didn't even break thirteen minutes in Florence, and now look where he is. So fair, fair. it's uh, the talent level is so high. You just you've got to you you've got to hit your peak. And I, I also thought it was like you know, Chepta guy was way back in his first diamond league, and he's like, look, we're well, not way back. I think he was like fourth or fifth, but he's like, this is the fastest opener I've had. And now look, he he he's improved to twelve forty. So it's just, I think he's moving in the right direction, but it's just, it's really fun to be a distance fan because there's so many good guys. It's just so competitive. And we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, Luis Grialvo was fourth in the world last year. Not like he's chopped liver. He has run 1250, something ridiculous this year. So. Right, but his most recent race in Stockholm was a non-Diamond League 3000. He finished fifth. Now, granted, it was kind of cold and wet, maybe not ideal conditions for him, but you know, there's, there's probably about 10 or 15 guys who, on their day, could probably finish in the top three in a Diamond League if everything goes right right now. Robert, let's move to the women's 5000. We have one in Stockholm on Sunday. It was won by Beatrice Chibet, who has been on fire this year. She was the world championship silver medalist last year on the track at 5,000 meters. Then to start 2023, she wins the world cross-country title in Australia, taking down Lokasem Bakvide. In the Diamond League so far, she's been very good. She won the 3K in Oslo in 825, and now she's won the 5K in Stockholm 
14.36. She closed her last lap in that race in 59 flat in Stockholm. And I think she could have gone faster, Robert. She was really pushing in the middle of that final lap, but she eased off the gas once she had a big lead. I think she could have gone sub-59 if she was pushed. She's really, really good. And I'm wondering, do you think she can beat Safan Hassan? Do you think she can beat the reigning world champion, Gudolf Sagai? We don't even know if she'll be in the 5K at Worlds. She just won the Ethiopian 10K trials. Do you think she could beat Faith Kip Yegon if she elects to run the 5,000 at Worlds? Like, where do you think Beatrice Chabet stacks up in that hierarchy? That's an interesting question because she's damn good. But she didn't beat Segei last year. She's not beating Kip Yegon if she's in this. This is the world record holder in the 1500 who's also the world record holder in the 5,000. I mean, if we thought Inke Britson was unbeatable in a championship 5,000 due to his 1,500-meter speed, then clearly Kip Yegon's even more unbeatable. And then you have Hassan, who, I mean, her range is incredible. Her performances in the past are incredible. I, I guess I'm going to rank them. Kip Yegon, one. Hassan, two. I, I guess I'll give her the nod, nod over Sege, but maybe not in the championship setting where it just comes down to a kick. You know, what's interesting to me is Chabat's the world cross-country champion, but she doesn't have that great of a 5,000-meter PB. What is it? It's 14.34, which she ran in Oslo two years ago when she was 21. I mean, I'm, I'm very confident she could run a lot faster than that. All the conditions in Stockholm, it was rainy. They weren't really going for a super fast time. She ran 14.31 last year on that silly cartoon track in Zurich. So that's actually faster than her official track PB at 1434. I bet she's in 14 teens shape at the moment. But man, yeah, this this event, if they all run it at Worlds, this could be like the best women's event. I guess we've got the Keeley versus Mo showdown and the 800 and Barrar in that. But Man, I I, I watched you bet, and I'm like, how do I lose? But you just made the argument. I don't think anyone, I mean, Kip Yegon, I think you would have to say it's a favorite if she runs it, which we don't know if she will. And so guys, she got 353, 1500 speed. Yeah, man, it, it's tough to sort them all out. But I think Beatrice Chabat, she's just, she's getting better. These other women are established. They've been on the scene for a while. Chabat is still on her rise. I think she's better than she was last year when she got silver. The field might be more difficult, but yeah, she's big, big talent. Well, I just looked. The 15-5 double is totally doable for the women because the five starts after the 15. It's just all these events are going to be cool because you've got people both in the men's and women's side that could not only win the race but also not medal, which I think hasn't always been the case. So it's going to be fun. We've been talking about, John, all these people kicking ass, taking names, running really well. But not everybody's been on their game so far this year. Emmanuel Career, the world and Olympic champion 800, has bombed yet another 800. I saw on Twitter, John, he's got an ankle injury. So I'm not ruling him out totally for Worlds because 
you don't have to be that fit for the 800, but you, people don't run well in pain. So if he can somehow get healthy, maybe, but it's not looking good. And I always say the coaching changes aren't that important, but there's a Brit by the name of Laura Muir who doesn't seem to be running well when, now that she's dumped her coach. So maybe the coaches are I, important. No, that's an overreaction, Robert, because yeah, Stockholm didn't go great for her. She was sixth in... 403. It wasn't a fast race. The winning time was 402. Ethiopia with the assembly line of young women's 1500 talent, like one, two, three for Wayne Hailu, Derebe Welteje here at Meshesha. And Laura Muir, for the first time, when was the last time Laura Muir was not the top Brit in a race? She got out leaned by Melissa Courtney Bryant. But earlier this year, she ran 357 in Florence, which was a good result. And earlier the this week or last week, she runs 157.30 for 800 in a mixed gender race. So against male competitors, but 157.30, that's pretty damn good for her. Her PB is 156.7. I think this was just an off race. Uh, it happens from time to time, but she, I mean, she's going to have a lot of competition with these Ethiopian women, with all of them running under four minutes this year. One of them is probably going to pop, but. I think this was more a bad race than a sign of things falling apart. It is interesting. In a post-race interview, she admitted, you know, it's been tough coaching myself. It's extra mental stress uh, on me, but it did sound like she was having mental stress, you know, when Andy Young was her coach, and that's one of the reasons they split. So, yeah, but I, I'm not that worried about her after this one race. All right, John, we need to stop this Diamond League talk. But one last question for you. Ingenbritz has been amazing in these 1500s. He's really got a kick in that last 100. But all of last year, we said, unless you're two plus seconds, but everybody else, you're vulnerable. Is he vulnerable in the 15? And with these guys running so fast, is he vulnerable in the five where I didn't see how he could be vulnerable? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of other really good guys. I, of course, he's vulnerable. He did lose last year, but... I have him as the favorite in both of them. And yeah, it's the 15. We've talked about it so much this year, Robert, after every race. Is he going to get a big enough gap to beat these guys at Worlds? You know, when you're only winning by less than a second, you're not that far ahead. But the other thing is, he's, I think these gaps conceivably could be a little larger if he dropped the hammer from further out. What we're seeing from the way he runs these races is he'll be pushing the pace, but then he has another gear with 150 or 200 meters to go, and that's when he'll really create the separation. So if he's getting that much separation over the last 200, maybe he really is a second and a half, two seconds fitter than these guys, you know, they're in some ultimate time trial. I mean, I guess the, the Oslo race is pretty close to that, and he didn't win that by more than a second. But yeah, they, of course he's going to be. It's a 1500. There's, there's no guarantees, but I'm still picking him. If I came to you and said, I'm giving you the opportunity to bet $10,000, even money, or what's it called, two to one, like Ingerbridge is against the field. In both the 15 and the 5, which one do you take, if any? Oh. Meaning, in which way do you think he has a greater than 50% chance of winning either race? 
I think he has a greater than 50% chance of winning the 1500. I think his 1500 odds might be better than his 5k odds because there's just so many. I mean, I'm saying this, there's so many other good guys, but oh man, I, you know, Robert, I, I think I probably take that bet in both events because I think at least, I think he'll win at least one of them. And I think it'll, you know, very, at the worst, I'm coming out level, but oh man. That's a good question. What do you? What's your answer? Well, I think of it that way. I think I'm taking the five thousand. Yeah. How are they going to run away from him? Well, if Aragawi, I throw the floated this out there on the Friday fifteen. If Aragawi runs a world record from the front, I don't think he's going to do it because you had perfect conditions for running in. Stop in Lausanne, and it's going to be hot, and you know, in, in Hungary most likely, and he's got a prelim, but. The guy did just run 1240 basically without the aid of a pacemaker. So, or the pacemaker slowed him down. So, I, I don't know. I actually think the hot weather might help him. I still think the bigger guys, which is generally the Western runners, have trouble in the heat, dissipating heat. And to me, physics doesn't go away. When Kipchoge was leading the Boston Marathon, I'm like, didn't he learn anything from sub two? Draft. It's just, it's hard, you know, to lead everything. If I'm Bianca, I would still, and he's just supremely confident. Why doesn't he go one of these middle organizers and say, hey, I mean, how much do they pay the rabbits? Five grand? They must pay them a lot, right? Top rabbit? I have no idea, but give that money to me. I'll just rabbit this race myself to see. Like, wouldn't you want to know? Hey, we can try it right now. Next Diamond League, he just runs it from the front with no rabbit and sees if he beats everybody. And then if he does, he's like, well, I'm going to do the same thing at Worlds. I, I think that's a brilliant idea, Robert, because otherwise you're not, I mean, he's kind of replicating these championship scenarios, but not really, not when you're getting pacing for 800 to 1,000 meters. So I kind of like that idea, Robert. But wait, this this heat thing, okay, yes, in theory, the larger riders should be more affected, but it was pretty hot for the world championship final last year, and Jakob had no issues over the final kilometer. He's not, like, not going to be running that thing from the front. And I'm not worried about heat in the 1500 because it's only three and three quarters laps. So I don't think the heat really makes that much of a difference for Ingrid Brixen. The guy that made the water stop cool in the 5000. Yeah, he still he took water and he still won the race. So actually, wait, the more I think of it, the more I think of it, am I, I, I say he's more likely to win the 1500. No, he's more likely to win the 5K. I, he, he's amazing in the 1500. And I think it's just a little. I'm biased because he's not running any 5Ks this year until Worlds, but there are also a ton of good guys in the 1500, and it's more likely that someone springs the Whiteman on him than one of these 5K guys breaks him. And I don't think anyone's out kicking him. So yeah, I, sorry. I would take the bet. I'd probably take the bet in both, but I'd be more confident in the 5K like you, Robert. Well, we've been talking about 5,000 meter. Can I say badasses on the podcast? Joshua Chept guy is the world record holder. In both the five and the ten, it's announced that he's going to be running the marathon in Valencia, where he set his five and ten world records. And he said the marathon needs to be hammered or something like that. It was a very bold statement. Correction, Robert. He said his 10K world record in Valencia, his 5K world record was in Monaco. Okay. The, the marathon must be hammered or needs to be hammered or something like that. And I thought, We've talked to the Valencia people, right? 
they're all obsessed about one thing, and that's the world record. And I was I put it up on the Let's Run homepage. I was kind of surprised by the results. Do you expect Joshua Cheptegei to break the marathon world record in Valencia? And you know, fan is short for fanatic. I thought number of people would say yes. Only 8% said yes. 92% said no. And then I put a poll up. What would you expect for time? Before I release the reversion to this poll, I don't want to bias you, John. When you heard this news, what were you thinking? World record or not? And what were you thinking for his time? Well, I was excited because I thought he was going to move the marathon off the next year's Olympics. And he's, you said he's still running the track next year, but I didn't expect a debut this soon, so that was exciting. World record, I I think you're disrespecting Elliot Kipchoge here, Robert. 20109 is a ridiculous time. And I know that Kelvin Kiptum did come close to it in London, but I also think Kelvin Kiptum, whatever you want to ascribe his incredible marathon ability to, whatever he's running, he's running really, really fast. Like I, I think 20109 is a really good record. And I know that Chip the guy's got the world record on the track and the 510 10K, but I think this world record talk is a little disrespectful. I was thinking for a time 203. Uh, that's what I voted for in the poll on Let's Run. Because I'm thinking about Latessa Magide last year, right? She makes her marathon debut at Valencia. Her coach is talking about running a world record, about maybe 210 one day they could run. She's more likely to be a great marathoner, I thought, than Chepta guy, given her skill set. Because not only has she set the 5K and 10K world records, she's also run a ridiculous half marathon, 62-52, way faster than any other woman in history. Chepta guy, he's run a couple half marathons. They were all right, but he only got fourth in the world half in 2020. And then lost this year in the New York City half, he lost to Jacob Kiblimo. So... I think he could be a fine marathoner, but asking him to set the world record in his first time out, it's a huge ask. I don't think it's going to happen because remember, G'day only ran 2.16. A fine marathon, but that's 2.16 compared to the women's world record of 2.14. I think that's about what a 2.03 would be compared to the men's world record of 2.01. So I think at 2.03, he could run that. It would be a fine debut, but I think it's a lot to ask to break the world record at his first marathon. I guess that logic sounds pretty good to me, John. But two or three originally sounded slow to me. I mean, when you have people like Tita Sakura running 202, oh, wait, more on that later. The world record talk is disrespectful to Kipchoge, particularly since Cheptegei, yeah, his wheelhouse, I mean, his half marathon, I think it's 59-29. Am I making that up? But I'm still really excited about this. If it was Coplimo, to be honest, and they said they were putting the, the a car at world, I mean, Pacers at world record pace, I might expect it. And I know that's disrespectful, but that's how good I think Coplimo is. But your analogy of G'day was perfect. I said the same thing about G'day, and she didn't get that damn world record. So I'm still incredibly excited about this because. You know, I guess Sheptegei is kind of the king of track and the distance. He's not a dominant ruler like 
when Gab was in charge and Bekele was in charge, there was no doubt who the king was. Both in championship and world record season. And then Mo Farah came in. He was a little weaker. He was a little older. He didn't really try to flex, show off as much like Gebersolese and Bekele. You know, he just would just battle down the challengers whenever he needed to, the World Championships, Olympics. But Chapter Guys is sort of the next guy for that. And we, we haven't really had an all-time great guy who's on top of the track. I mean, he won the world title in the 10 last year, and he's making his debut this year. And I was kind of thinking, oh, does he realize he's not going to win on the track this year? And I don't think that's the case. This dude just ran 1240, but it's really exciting to see someone in their prime, world record holder, 5 and 10, moving to the marathon. Because Bekele didn't do that. I looked up the stats. Maybe I should, I should quiz you, John, because Bring it on. You have an encyclopedic knowledge. And this should almost predate, particularly Gabba, predate you. When did Bekele make his marathon debut? Um, I'm just going to have to make sure I get the exact date right. Because I know it was the spring of 2014 in Paris. And Please. I'm going to say, was it, April, need, was it April 5th? I don't need the, I don't know the exact date, John. Oh, it was okay. just okay. Paris. Spring 2014. When did Bikile win his last medal on the track? 2009 Worlds. Epic 5K duel against Bernard Lagarde. Right. So it was almost five full years after his last goal that he moves up. And he was seven years removed from his last 12 Oh, my God, Robert. I just looked it up. I was one day off. April 6, 2014. I said April 5th. Damn it. I guess I'm out of a job now. But. That's correct. That's why we, that's why we have a phone number. If you like Jonathan's job, call. Give us a call. Eight four four. Let's run eight four four five three eight seven seven eight six. We'd love to hear you from you again. You need to sign up for the supporters club because we're going to be doing daily podcasts from Eugene. The only way to get it. Join the supporters club today. Let's run slash subscribe. Gabriel Celeste, I looked him up. His last global outdoor goal was in two thousand Olympics. He actually debuted in the marathon in 2002. So he didn't win in the 2001 Edmonton Worlds. Debuts in the marathon in 2002. And then actually won a world championship silver in 2003. So he was still on the track. You know, whatever. But he was three years removed from his last 1240s in the 5000, which was in 1999. So chapter guy just ran in the 1240s. Actually almost ran in the 1230s. And he's moving to the marathon. Well, are we ignoring Mo Farah? I mean, Mo Farah debuted in 2014, which was right in the middle of his two Olympic 5K, 10K sweeps. I, that one, it didn't really, it just sort of strike, struck me as, hey, it's an off year. It's 2014. I'm going to pick up a big payday in London. I'm not going to go all in on the marathon, but do you, what do we make of that? I was kind of ignoring it just because, did he ever run in the 1240s in the track? 1253 was his PR. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't. I never understood why it would be expected that he would be super fast at the marathon when he wasn't super fast at the ten thousand. Like the grinded out type of thing just wasn't him. But it's exciting nonetheless. Oh, I'm pumped for it. I, I mean, he's yeah, five k, ten k world record holder, making his debut while he's still in his prime in Valencia, which we know is a fast course, always good conditions. It's going to be fantastic. I uh, can't wait for the race. While we're talking world records. 
I guess she's not an official member of the Bowman Track Club, but Shelby Houlihan, John, has set a beer mile world record. We were texting about this amongst the staff. I, don't, I think she ran in the 630s. No, 543. I mean, she she smashed the world record. The previous one was like 608, and she took 25 seconds off. I think some people are going to say, oh, of course she can do this. You know, she's was super fast back in the day. She can drink, but I had a great runner at Cornell, Bruce Hyde, who, who could drink. He could run fast, but he couldn't do the bare mile. So, but I don't know. Any purists who are mad that we're bringing this up, like, I'll defend it. It's inter- interesting to me. And why am I talking about it, Robert? My question is, like, are you cool with her competing when she's banned by that? World Athletics for four years. I mean, the beer mile, obviously, it's not a World Athletics event. I don't think this was a USATF-sanctioned event, so fairly confident she's not violating the terms of her ban, but do you have any issue with it? A lot of people are saying, you know, why should we even care? Like, she shouldn't be competing at all. What do you think? I was going to defend it in the sense of this is not a real event. Like, imagine, I mean, I know it's running-related, but give me a break. It's a beer mile. It's like... It's not elite competitive track and field. So if someone's banned from the NFL, they can play baseball. I mean, it doesn't bother me. And I don't think that drug teach, even if she did intentionally cheat, should be their life should be miserable. I mean, it's, it's very fascinating to me. In American society, it's all like, oh, we cannot put teenagers, even armed criminals, behind bars because they must be given a second chance. Someone dopes, and you're like, they must have a miserable life for the next five years. Like, you know, God forbid that she's actually innocent, didn't intentionally dope. I feel a lot of sympathy for if that's the case. But even not, it's like it's got to have be hard to have your profession take away. Like, do something fun, a festival, whatever. Why do I care? I don't think I don't really want to give it a lot of publicity because I do think, yeah, like there's a lot of great runners we're not even going to talk about on this podcast that deserve it more than someone who may have intentionally cheated. So, but. I, I don't really have an issue with her competing, but she was placed in the B heat because I think there may have been, I, I haven't looked totally into it, but I think there may have been some people who were uncomfortable with having her run the championship section because this was at the BMIL. It was at the BMIL World Classic in Chicago. So yeah, she didn't run the A section. Well, that's a perfect, that's a perfect solution then. Put her in the B section so she's not in the A section. You know, you're giving her kind of a, a little bit of a punishment, but it's like, come on. It's not like the beer miles drug testing athletes, is it? So, look, I'm totally against the idea of this enhanced games, dumb stuff. I don't want to give that guy the time of day, but we've said enough about that. Other news involving Jerry Schumacher. I found this fascinating. Charles Hicks, reigning NCAA cross-country champion, who had already had an idea with Nike, was up until recently going to go back to Stanford. Stanford had a great shot with him and Robinson and the young twins coming in and winning the national championship. They haven't won in 20 plus years in cross country. Nope. He's not going back. He's going pro. He signed with the Bowman track club. And it's just, it's kind of fascinating because or- the Bowman track club is coached by the Oregon track coach. So whenever Oregon's not going to win the PAC 12 title, they can just pay the, the, the Stanford athletes to go pro and decimate their team. So, pretty interesting right yeah i don't think you can do this every year but if 
you know, he is the reigning NCAA cross country champion. He's clearly worthy of a contract with Bowman Track Club. But yeah, that angle, I didn't even consider it when it happened. And then you made it that point. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's actually pretty interesting. We said we said this on the Friday 15. You know, we would have loved to see Hicks uh, and Robinson team up and try to take down NAU and that dynasty. But look, the guy has an, an Olympics to prepare for next year. And if he thinks his best shot is to turn pro now or he wants to be, I mean, he graduated from Stanford. You know, this was his fourth year. He had more eligibility left. But I'm not going to fault a guy for wanting to chase his professional dream. Uh, it, it is interesting, though, that, you know, Bowman, is this their first athlete they've signed since relocating to Eugene, Robert? I think maybe Christina Aragon might have joined once they made that announcement. But, you know, clearly Hicks doesn't have any issues with, uh, you know, the change of location. Not that they're in Eugene all that much anyway. You know, they go to altitude camp a bunch, but, yeah, they're still getting top talent. And I always thought they'd get top talent. People said, oh, they're not, people aren't going to go there and there's a Shelby or this and that. I'm like, it's one of the top groups in the world. Even after the BBC allegations, people are going to Salazar. People are going to go to Colorado and Mark Wetmore despite this report on their body weight management issues. You know, Charles Hicks was roommates with Jerry Schumacher's son at Stanford. So there's, there's ties there. And you know, it's interesting. I didn't know a lot about this NIL deal. Parker Valby, the NCAA outdoor 5,000-meter champion, became the first NCAA female athlete to sign an NIL deal. She signed with Nike as well. And I had no idea, like, is an NIL deal like 90% of a contract, 75% of a contract, etc.? Reached out to an agent, and they're like, no, it's a lot less. It's kind of... Sounds to me like maybe like in the $25,000 range for a lot of people, $50,000 range, you know, one eighth or one quarter, which you might get just not that much, but it's just sort of like, here's a little bit of money. We want to have a relationship. It'd be embarrassing if you signed an NIL deal with another company. It's just like a sign of goodwill. But it kind of reminds me, I was seeing a tweet, I saw a tweet on Twitter the other day. Someone was saying, like, I think they're talking about the NFL or maybe it was the NBA. Like, teams will often do like signs of goodwill with agents. They'll try to do an agent a favor. But then, when does the agent ever return the favor and say, like, oh, I'm going to have my guy sign for less than the max deal so he can be with you? (laughs) Well, I think it's more just to not piss off the agent entirely and say, hey, we're not signing with you at all. But uh, yeah, I don't know if that's uh, actually happening at the NCAA level. But it is interesting in that when this NIL stuff all came to the fore in 2021, it was legalized. We were wondering, are we going to see the very big stars who right now, those are the only ones getting these NIL deals. It's Parker Valby, Charles Hicks, Caitlin Tui, all of them have NCAA titles. Are we going to see them stay in college longer because they have that NIL deal? And We'll see with Caitlin Tui, but with Charles Hicks, the answer is no. He was like, I could say at Stanford and get paid by Nike, but I'd rather get paid more and actually transition to a full professional lifestyle. And I think Caitlin Tui, we've said it's unlikely that she's going to be back for a 2024 track season. 
even with an NAL deal. It's about, does she turn pro now? Or does she turn pro after cross country? I think it's not just about having enough money to convince you to stay in school. People will want to just change and go to the professional lifestyle, even if they're already getting some NAL money. So I don't think we're going to see the very best athletes sticking around a whole much lo- a whole lot longer than they otherwise would have, even with NIL deals. I don't know, though. When the money gets up there, we're seeing it in football. They're definitely staying. And I kind of wanted Hicks to go back to Stanford, but a lot of his buddies have graduated. They kind of have a new team with some new freshmen. It's not quite the same thing. He's already won in individually, so I, 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 I get it, I guess. When we were recording Friday's podcast, we found out right at the end that Kira DeMotto was an American record pace at 15K, and she did finish that off running 66.39. What was the old record, John? So she had the – DeMotto had the marathon record. Emily Sisson breaks it. Now, Emily Sisson had the half marathon record. Was it, what was it, though? 66.52. And now it's 66.39. So they're going back and forth. And super impressive because, you know, D'Amato had to be, she missed, you know, her spring marathon. And I'm starting to wonder, you know, I did not pick her to make the Olympic team. I'm like, look, there's a reason why these people are in their late 30s or 40s. Sarah Hall, D'Amato. It would be a really cool story if somebody like that made a team. But I said no. Wondering now. That's going to be foolish, but we got you know a lot of good runners. Well, one of my concerns about her, I think we may have picked this team when she announced she wasn't going to run London. And I think when you get older, you do have those worries. She's thirty-eight now. Obviously, I mean she's in terrific shape right now. You put this version of Kira Demata on the Olympic trials start line, uh, eight months from now, yeah, she what, seven months from now. She's absolutely going to be in the mix there. But I, I think there were concerns like how long could she keep this up? Um, can she stay healthy? But we're not that far away from the start line so, at this point. I thought it was impressive. She had some issues getting to Australia. She set this at the A6 half marathon, Gold Coast, Australia. And she said that I think it took her four days or something to get to Australia for this race. She was supposed to fly out on Sunday, gets pushed back, canceled. Then it's rescheduled for Monday, canceled. She has to stay in LA overnight. She finally gets there on Thursday when she was leaving on Sunday. The race is Saturday morning in Australia. So deal with all of that and then to go out and run a personal best. 6639. Really impressive stuff from her. And I'm excited. I'm excited to see what she does in the World Championship Marathon. She's running that in August. That'll be her last marathon before the trials. She was eighth last year and she did that sort of as a last minute call up for Molly Seidel when she said she could no longer run it. Clearly, she is going to be a lot better prepared this time around. She knows she's running that race. We've just seen her drop a half marathon American record. I'm wondering if she could maybe be on the podium with a good race in Budapest. I think she could medal. While you were talking, I was trying to figure out who I picked for the marathon team. I like to find our men's picks. Oh, I think we all picked the same trio, which, and this was, I think it was like right before Boston or something, but 
we picked Betsy Siner, Alephine Tullyamark, and Emily Sisson. And then Emma Bates goes out and rocks Boston. And now you've got Kira D'Amato running an American record in the half. Like, maybe our picks will be different after the full marathon season. I mean, hey, heck, maybe Sarah Hall shows up and runs a PR. I mean, that it's going to be fantastic. So many good American female marathoners right now. All right, let's move on. I used to play like breaking news sound. This really isn't breaking news, but I kind of need it because this should be breaking news. Still haven't made my video asking for Max Siegel to be fired, but when I do, this will be added to it. Jonathan Gold has discovered, as has a message board poster, that for the first time in how many years? 17 years. 17 years. The USA Track and Field Outdoor Championships will not be on one of the major television networks in America. It's not going to be on NBC. Nope. It's going to be on, well, if it's televised at all, the portions that are televised are going to be on CNBC. And then a lot of it's going to be on, I think, behind the USATF TV paywall, correct? Not even on the Peacock paywall. So Peacock will show the stuff that's on TV. So the two-hour windows on Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights, that's all going to be on Peacock. Everything else, including the 10K finals uh, on Thursday, will be on USATF.tv. I don't think that arrangement is any different from the last couple of years. The big difference is that it's going to be on CNBC at 9 to 11 p.m. on Saturday and Sunday night. The last couple of years, we have had Saturday and Sunday, 4 to 6 p.m., most of it on NBC. I think last year, one hour is on NBC, one hour is on USA. But the Saturday, it was four to six on ES on NBC. And yeah, I, so I noticed this and I was just like, this isn't good. We just had the world championships in this country last year. Max Siegel has said this six-year window from the Worlds in 2022 to the Olympics in LA in 2028, that's when he wants to make this push to popularize the sport. We've had these meets in LA and New York City, but now the US championships, the biggest domestic meet of the season, I guess the biggest USATF meet, you've also got the Diamond League final in the US, but it's being relegated to CNBC. And we, I reached out to USATF and NBC about this, and they came back with a statement essentially saying, they chose the dates. For, they were given two championship windows to hold the championship by World Athletics, either you know the weekend of July 8th, 9th, or the weekend of July 29th, 30th. They talked to coaches and high-performance division. They decided this was the weekend to do it. Then they said that came into conflict because NBC also has the rights to the U.S. Women's Open Golf for this weekend. And I think what it came down to is... NBC making the decision we would rather show U.S. Women's Open Golf than track and field on Saturday and Sunday afternoons. Probably because they think it will get better ratings. So I, I could go a little conservative here. Do they really think it's going to get better ratings or do they feel guilty about not publicizing enough women's sports? Or it could be the women's sports are kind of hot and are getting bigger ratings. It'll be interesting to see if they actually do get better ratings. I, I can see all about, about all of this. You know, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? You publicize women's sports and they get popular or they're popular and they demand to be televised. But one of the most popular, I mean, track, I've always used the golf. The golf thing is fascinating to me. Women's tennis, the men and the women, at least in the Grand Slams, are, are paid the same. 
But in golf, it's like a joke. Like the women aren't paid anything. And I've always wondered, like, you know, people are outraged that the Saudis are buying. I'm like, why don't they pay for women's golf? Like women's golf is just like a fourth class citizen. So congratulations to the women's golfer. My, my, my first cousin was a, was a D one golfer at the university of Texas, but I don't know. Like the whole idea that Siegel can't get this made on TV just is infuriating to me. Again, this is what we're paying three plus million dollars a year for is I, if I was in charge of this, I wouldn't try to revolutionize the sport. I would say like, well, look, we're a niche sport, but it's big in the Olympics and NBC needs to promote it to make the Olympics big. So we had a world championships in America last year. We're having an Olympics next year and they're just going to let this meet go off. But Hey, it's like the swimming championships were last week. I didn't pay attention to it. Was it an NBC? I don't care. That's the, that's the perfect example though, because we're not going to make these sports popular in the off years. I'll pay attention to swimming next year. I'll read an article or two this year about the guy that won the five golds. And for some reason just left worlds in the middle of it last year. Did you know that John? So, well, Robert, first of all, I did some research on this. The U.S. championships, one of the main finals hours was on USA Network last year. That got 208,000 viewers. The third and fourth rounds of the U.S. Women's Open Golf also shown on USA. Same, not the same exact day, but basically comparable broadcast window. Those two rounds got 272,000 and 278,000. So NBC might have looked at those numbers and said, well, this one got more than that. This is the one we're going to put on NBC. It's also at Pebble Beach, which is an iconic American course. So I don't know. Um, but well, yeah, no, I no. guess they made the right call. That's what it seems like based on last year. And it's, yeah, not a good sign for USATF or for the sport in general that they can't get the national championships on TV. But I, I've heard some people say, Oh, everything's going to be on Peacock anyway. That you know, for it's not a big deal. And for for diehard track fans, who are the people who are going to watch it anyway, yeah, the, the coverage will be good because you'll have you have to subscribe to USATF.tv and Peacock to get all of it. But Peacock, I think, is a pretty good investment for the amount of track you're getting. I'm not worried that people won't be able to see this meet. The diehard fans will still be able to access it. But what we're trying to do is expand the fan base here. And having it CNBC Sunday night, 9 to 11, people aren't just going to stumble on that like they would on NBC. You know, it's not, you're not going to be putting CNBC on a, sport, at a sports bar on a Sunday night. So that's my concern there. But that's, that's the way it is. Well, it's a good thing for us, maybe. We'll be on TV, so you'll have to come to Let'sRun.com to get your daily coverage. We'll be listening to my nightly podcast and whatnot but i almost was thinking they should just do i guess usatf is a non-profit like if i was the head of usatf i would just try to get five hundred thousand people to pay me a hundred dollars a year to support team usa that would be a 50 million dollar budget which should be way bigger than what they are now well, anyways robert what wait one thing i did want to talk about this though because a lot of i've seen a number of people complain that usatf they're not issuing credentials to sort of athletes will have their own film crew or social media person. They want filming content from the championships. And there've been a number of people have complained that haven't gotten those credentials. And I'm wondering if USATF needs to sort of, whenever that rights deal expires with NBC, what I think it's the end of next year, I think it's 2024, they meet, might need to come back and say, hey, um, can we get a few more 
concessions here? Can we have our athletes, you know, get these credentials? Can we have them have access to this stuff? Because, and what, like the local TV station, Eugene was also the, their reporter, Hayden Herrera. He mentioned on Twitter that they're very limited on the amount of content from the actual meat they can share in terms of races and that sort of stuff. And I don't know exactly the whole background behind it. Maybe it's NBC is imposing these rules or restrictions on USATF, but it seems a little excessive to me. And I'm surprised you're, you're against this. You want the mix zone fulfilled up with the athlete's sister and brother doing Twitter videos? I want more exposure of the meat in general. I mean, I mean, these people, they're not getting most of their content from the mix zone. They're getting it from the wall-up areas or that sort of stuff. Like, that, you know, this Sydney McLaughlin Lavroni, her videos she did in Paris. It's that sort of thing, Robert. I, I think more of that exposure is good for the sport. And US, people are crapping on USATF for limiting it, but I think they're probably a little hamstrung by whatever rights agreements they signed over to NBC. So whether it's USATF needs to relax or them going to NBC and asking, hey, can we have a few more rights to hand out to other people? But at the same time, NBC is paying the USOPC and the USATF a bunch of money for these rights. So maybe they would come back and say no. I don't know. But I, well, I, I would say, look, if you're not broadcasting the meet on NBC, then we're going to get these rights. You know, kind of do it that way. But I mean, it's like the highlights of a race. Like they don't release Diamond League highlights right away on World Athletics because people have paid money. And they want you to watch it on their on their network. So right, right. I, I see both sides of this. Like I, I don't know. I view what you're going to be doing, Eugene, is professional journalism, and a lot different than somebody else who wants a press pass at the last minute who doesn't cover the sport twenty four seven three sixty five. Now I I, have, I I saw some reference in the message board about social media. So I wasn't sure what that was, but initially they gave me grief about how many press passes we could have, and I'm like. I'm like, I, I'm getting more for worlds than I am for USAs. Then I guess it was a new person. They changed their mind quickly. So I'm on both sides of that one. I need more details. Yeah, probably the the wise decision there. All right, Robert. Speak, oh, I guess before we get to what USA previews, we should mention, you said his name earlier, Titus Akiru, 202 marathoner from Kenya. Tied for the sixth fastest of all time, has been suspended for a variety of things. It was announced today he tested positive not once but twice in competition in 2021. And the first time it was at the Milan Marathon, which he won in his personal best of 202.57. It was for triamcinolone acetonide, which as our dedicated listeners might remember, that was the drug that Diana Kipuke tested positive for at the 2021 Boston Marathon, and she was ultimately stripped of her title for that. So initially, he claimed some sort of medical explanation, you know, be giving it for a legitimate medical issue, and the Athletics Integrity Unit accepted that, but then won a bunch of other people, and that's why he was allowed to run his second marathon the Abu Dhabi marathon later that year, which he also won. He tested positive for a different banned substance. And then after that all happens, they realize, Oh, wait a minute. Maybe this initial explanation he gave wasn't right. We've seen all these other people claim they had some medical issue and they took this drug, but actually they had no reason to take it. So 
now he's been charged for both the positive tests and two charges of tampering in each case because he made up bogus stories for why he was ingesting these drugs. So now he's facing a potential 10-year ban. And yet no one with NLP was hit with anything. They were taking IVs. Actually, the guy taking the IVs. Admittedly, Rich didn't want to take them, but anybody who read that document knows that he took way more than what was legal. He never was suspended. I guess that was against his will. I don't know, John. You're going to try to get me to bash a Kenyan, but then everybody in America can be on thyroid meds, and I know they're technically legal. Look, there's a lot of cheats out there. A lot of in all walks of life. That was the biggest one of the biggest disappointments of becoming an adult is realizing how many dishonest, dirty, cheating people there are. It's hard to tell. David Epstein, who broke the Lance Armstrong story, I said, "What'd you learn?" He's like, "I was stunned in my twenties to learn that somebody can just look you flat in the eye and just lie to their teeth, very convincingly." So disappointing, but I don't know. It seems like whenever someone comes out of nowhere, and runs a ridiculous marathon time. It's too good to be true. It is too good to be true. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, there are athletes on the circuit right now who I would have some questions about. Yeah. He was, he was winning basically everything. He didn't, he never finished a world marathon major. He's listed as DNF in Chicago and Tokyo. And I don't know if that's because he was pacing or what, but I mean, my takeaway was just this, like, Ken, when is it going to end with Kenya? They've had so many high profile positive tests and it's good that the AIU is catching these athletes, but is there a limit to it? Like, is there at some point, are they going to have kind of address or fix this problem? Or is, are we just going to keep seeing? What do you mean? They have people that are pretty good at running. If they take drugs, they can make life changing money. So no, it's not going to end. You know, I mean, I I had four or eight milers coming up to me when I was in Kenya saying, buy me shoes. Like you're trying to be a pro. You would barely make my Cornell team, but they had, they had no other job options. My dad told me to do this. I have no other options. You know, might as well try two years running. If I can make 50 grand. Anyways, let's get to USA's. We don't have time to preview the whole thing. I'm not going to go event by event. We are previewing every event on the homepage. Who else does that? Or excuse me, all of the mid-distance and distance events. I think we're done with all of them, so they should be up later tonight or tomorrow. Like, we were so excited about the 1500. We, we started talking, men's 1500. We started talking about it last week. But there's a lot of cool storylines, John. You know, I mean, even events where we, we're pretty sure we know he's going to win. Like, I think Mo, well, again, I think Mo's not running 800. What am I talking about? Like, I think Mo, what's she going to do in the 1500? I don't think much. I'm going to be irate if she makes the final and doesn't run it. Tell you that much. Well, Robert, did you see the little, I, I don't know if I call this breaking news, but USATF changed their selection policies. The reigning champions, you don't even need to run at USA's anymore. They took out the line saying you have to compete in the selection event to get a bye, which they didn't enforce last year because Lola Muhammad and Michael Cherry both skipped USA's and still got waivers to run at Worlds. So she doesn't even need to run the 1500 uh, and certainly doesn't need to run the final if she, if she makes it. it. It's just such a stupid rule. Like We're wondering why NBC is not telecasting it. Because for the very biggest people, the biggest stars, the meat doesn't mean anything. Like, when Tom Brady got eliminated in the NFC Championship game to my beautiful Baltimore Ravens, NBC just didn't put him in the final because he's a bigger star than 
Joe Flacco or whoever was quarterbacking the Ravens at the time. Like, we need more meets that matter. They need to get rid of the damn buy. If they do a buy, it should be buy by country. You get an extra spot so the country gets rewarded, not the individuals. The, the good thing here, Robert, is that some of the stars, even if they have the buy, they still have to compete because Noah Lyles wants to do the double. So he has to run the 100. Kyle, uh, sorry, not Kyle. Fred Curley has to run the 200 because he also wants to double at Worlds. And Sydney McLaughlin Lebroni is running the 400. She's going to have to run all three rounds to get on that team. So we won't get Lyles versus Curley, which we would get twice if they both had to compete for their spots in both events. But they're at least going to be running hard all three rounds at USA's, which is a good thing. But looking at the mid and distance events, I mean, I guess I'll do a one-sentence recap of storylines. Men's 800, Sumner is super good, but he's super young. Who wins, Hopple or... Uh, Clayton Murphy. Murphy, 1500 is just an all-timer on the men's side. Steeplechase, no Evan Jager, no Hillary Bohr. I think for the first time in like, what it was, 11 years, we're going to have a new new person winning? Robert, I, I put this question out on Twitter. Can you name the last person not named Evan Jager or Hillary Bohr to win the U.S. men's steeplechase title? I got it, but I wasn't confident about it. Billy Nelson. Wow, what a pull. Rojo, I asked a bunch of... Even the diehards on Twitter who followed me, most of them couldn't pull that one. So how do you remember that? I was on that website that we pay for. I think it's called like Brinkster.something. It's really cool. It's, you click on it and you can click like men's steeple because I was doing the steeple previews this morning. And you can see every USA steeple final, just all one page. So I was looking back to see you know, Jager and them. And I saw Nelson. And I was like, wow, he's gone through a whole college coaching career since then. So I'm glad I got that one. But yeah, we'll have a new winner there. The 5K on the men's side is totally loaded. I was actually realizing this. One thing that makes the 5K not quite as exciting as the 1500. Well, the 1500 is just more exciting because the tactics make more of a difference. You, it's much quicker race. You can really pay attention. There's going to be no damn. I mean, let's be honest. In the 5K, while it drives us nuts, you can have a commercial break on that and not really miss that much quite often. But what makes the 1500 a little bit better too is like you don't make the team there. You're pretty much done, except for Cooper Tier might go to the five. Whereas in the 5K, some of these guys, the studs, you know, we've got Kincaid, Chalimo, Fisher, Joe Klecker, Abdi Noor. Yeah. You know, some of them will have already made the Fatenke team. So it makes it a little bit more paddle palatable, but that's an all timer. But like, Robert, can you imagine if like, if Grant Fisher does, oh, like Grant Fisher is probably going to make the 10K team. But like one out of Fisher, Chalimo, Kincaid, and Klecker, one of those guys is not going to make the 10K team. So one of them will have lost chance saloon in the 5K. You throw in Abdi Noor, who's going to be fresh. You throw in Morgan Beagle, Bealskin, who's having a good year. I mean, I, I wouldn't be totally shocked if he hunts someone down and gets like the third spot. And maybe Kupatia, who this would be an incredible storyline. You imagine. He goes home devastated in the 1500, except wait, he doesn't go home devastated. He's got the shot in the 5K and he comes back and makes the team in that event. That would be crazy. So that 5K is actually going to be one of the most fascinating events of the whole meet. It's also like whoever wins the 10K 
they can come back and win the 5K, they crown themselves king of U.S. distance running. We thought it was going to be Grant Fisher, I think, for quite a while after last season, but Kincaid has been on fire in 2023. Paul Chalimo has now come back and is running well. He's run 13.03 in 27.12. Klecka beat Fisher his last time out in Florence. I don't know what to make of this event, Robert. Like I was having the hardest time picking this team in my preview. And initially I was like, I was even texting him like, am I crazy for considering Grant Fisher might not even make the team in the 5K? Because he was third in Florence. He got out kicked by Tinke, you got beat by Klecker, and then you've got Chalimo and Noor. So what what do you make of this? Here's a text since Saturday night. Am I crazy for thinking Fisher won't win the 5K or 10K? You didn't say not make the team. Right. right now, I have him second in the 10K and third in the 5K. It seems absurd given how good he was last year, but other Americans have been better than him in 2023. I responded, yes, you are stupid. And then you responded, okay, I'll think it over. But he did lose to Kincaid and Clarker and Florence. And then I felt a little bit bad when like 24 hours, John just changes his picks because of me. No, no, I I respect your opinion, Robert. That's why I like having these other intelligent track people. That told no, it made me think though, too. That, I'm, you know. I'm like, but then I look back and he was just so good last year. I'm like, maybe Jerry's like, just like go out, run Florence, have a good time. But, you know, I'm peaking you for July and August. That's when I'm, you're really going to be ready. And I, something tells me we haven't seen the best of Grant Fisher yet, but you know, it's not as if Joe Klecker and, Woody Kincaid, they know that you got to be ready to go USA's as well. I don't think they're just going to go and say, hey, this is my absolute best in Florence and I'm not going to be better. So it's it's tough. That's a great point, John. Because let's think back. What's the last big meeting we went to? NCAAs. Who was the star there? Kai Robinson. Right. What did he do at Pac-12s? Now, I think he won the 1500, right? He was second behind Nathan Green. A second yeah, Nathan Green. And then he got like third in the 5,000. But I heard that him and Hicks, they didn't care about Pac-12s. They were running like 100 miles a week. So when you're training through, you're not going to be on your A game. So, you know, are we going to have new and improved Fisher or is Fisher going to be missing? Because some of these guys, you know, some of the Bauer and other guys like Lopez LeMong is nowhere to be seen. And what's Ahmed up to? I don't know what he's even up to. He ran Florence. He ran oh, did he? fine. Yeah. You know, I was like, maybe he's having to do more of the work in practice. Maybe that's why they got Hicks to help out with practice. But that's going to be fascinating. But let's talk men's 10K. The storyline there is four studs for three spots. Your preview kind of annoyed me, and it wasn't your fault. But this is what's wrong with World Athletics. Like, the standard's 27-10. It's a straight final at Worlds. Paul Tulema runs 27-12, basically alone, in a major European race, wins it, and may not get in on world ranking. Like, how can you be any closer to 27-10? He did it on a big race. I have 10,000 PBs, and he might not get in. And you're like, he's got to run 20.06 and got top three. And the forecast for Eugene is 88 degrees on Thursday night. Or Thursday, it's going to be about 80 degrees of race time. So one thing we haven't mentioned, USATF is allowing people to chase. You have until July 30th. I did not know that. We did not mention that. Everyone should know that. So Chilimo could probably go to Europe, find a 27.45 race, and get in on standard that way. And it's not, it's not easy, but it's just a joke, John. It's just, it angers me so much. We're going to send three. Like, we should be allowed to send any three. And you're like, these other guys don't want to set the pace. And I'm like, it's utterly cowardly to me if Joe Klecker does not push the pace in this. Like, 
I know it's in his incentive not to help out, but normally he would want a fast pace to burn these kickers off, true or false. He always pushes the pace. Last year, he beat Grant Fisher in a race where the time was well over 28 minutes and he outkicked them. So, oh, good point. I stand corrected. But I was thinking normally he's going to want to push the pace, but here he, may, he might not want to push the pace because he wants Chulima to run so slow he doesn't get it on the standard in the top three. Like, you're killing the drama of his races. There's a reason why NBC doesn't want to publicize it. Of course, they might not tell, but televise it in thousand anyways. But I really hope that this is just an honest race. People aren't worrying about it. And somehow all three of these guys can get in. Because, you know, Chalima's got a sick, sick kick. I'm a little bit surprised he's doing the 10. But as, as stacked as the 5 is, I don't blame him. Give him two chances. If he's not feeling good, he can drop out. I see. This was something I was debating. And I guess maybe, yeah, you can't do that. Maybe you drop out if you're not feeling good. But... I was like, if I'm Paul Chalimo and my goal is to make the world's team, do I run the 10K and the 5K with the caveat that if you run the 5K, you might be exhausted from the 10K? Or do you say, I'm skipping the 10K. These guys can beat themselves up, my chief rivals, in running the 10K on Thursday night. I'll be completely fresh for the 5K on Sunday and I can take advantage of that. I kind of think the 5k only is the way to go, especially because he's had more success in that event historically, but obviously he did run a good 10k earlier this year. But also, maybe if he's not in the 10k, they might just totally jog that thing because there's no incentive. I mean, unless Connor Mance decides to take off, Connor Mance could also if he runs 2740 and gets third, he makes the team. Like, But is he going to care that much to do it? Especially if he's got like, you know, if he's focused on the marathon? I don't know. <laughs> So what athletics like start giving you like altitude and heat adjustments for the times? I mean, uh, sprints, they should give you a wind adjustment anyways. So that'll be interesting. I just, I, I hope it starts off with like a real, it's just going to be a, a bummer if it's like 2812 and he's got to go chase the time. We don't know who's on the team. And then the whole rest of the thing, we don't have clickers on the team, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But wait, Robin, all right. Like in terms of power rankings for these guys going in, I mean, this is going to be a big deal. We're going to come out of this weekend and it might be, hey, one of these guys is the guy in American distance running. It could be Kincaid kicking his way to victory. It could be Grant Fisher sending messages back. Like, heck, it could be Clecker or Chalimo. Like, where do you, what, where do you rank these guys coming into the meet? Like, if you had to bet on one guy winning both, who would you say? But when I analyze the role situation, I'm like, if you don't drop the kicker, he wins. That would be Kincaid. He's in great shape, but I'm still just, I guess I've got to say Fisher. But he's never won a U.S. 10K title. But if Woody Kincaid does win these two events, man, my God, he's the biggest winner. I mean, he was kind of like, an, I mean, I know he was winning stuff at, at, with at Bowerman, but like, well, I, I guess you can't say it's a total indictment of Bowerman because what other group has developed a guy from like the 1320s to 1250s like Bowerman did? But it's the ultimate win for Woody for leaving that and saying, hey, we I did great with you, but I'm going to do even better with fucking Mike Smith. So I, I guess I'm going with Fisher. I, I need to – are we going to have a prediction contest with Walton being on paternity leave? I guess probably not. Yeah, we're running out of time. But I – yeah, the thing is like I'm just like, oh – what you can Kate, we need a lose? prediction contest because that's the only time when you really are put on the spot. Right. But I, like Kincaid, I'm like, how do you how do you drop that guy? Because he ran 20 Joe Klecker ran 27-0 and couldn't drop Woody Kincaid, but he 
he got dropped in the U.S. final last year by Grant Fisher. And granted, Grant had yep. pacing help. And I, I ran in, maybe I shouldn't say this because, you know, but he didn't say it wasn't off the record. So by then, everything's on the record. I remember last year I ran into Jerry Schumacher in the concourse of Hayward Field right after the 10K. Right? Kincaid did not run the 10K. He was hurt or something, right? He dropped out midway through. He had like a stitch. Oh, yeah. And so Grant Fisher got out kicked by Klecker. I said, what's the deal with Kincaid? Is he not in shape? He's like, no, he's in great shape. I'm like, oh, that race would have been quite, but it would have, he would have probably done pretty well in it, you know, considering it was slow in a kicker's race. He's like, and then I think he and Dobear, Pascal Dobear were there. One of them was like, well, done well. He would have won it. Like, they were just emphatic. Like, he would have won that race. No, I think he would have. He won the trials in 2021. By and- the way, Pascal Dobear, the former steeplechaser, longtime assistant of Jerry Schumacher, has now left and he's with the Puma Elite Group in North Carolina. Yeah, I found that. I thought that was quite interesting. We heard about that in NCAA. Like, he's been Jerry's right-hand man for a long, long time. And now they've got Shalane and Chris Selinski at Oregon. So maybe he was just odd man out there. What did you, I, I haven't talked to Pascal about that move, so I don't really want to speculate further. But All right, women's, women's storylines. It's great in the women's 800. Somebody not named I think Mo's going to get a little bit of publicity, get a victory. So that's cool. Women's 1500. I wrote that preview, right, John? Can't remember. I wrote that preview. Oh. I thought. Well, what's yeah. the big storyline there? Give it to me. Well, I think Mo's in there. Uh, so it's part of it. But then the other thing is sort of Sinclair Johnson. She won last year handily. Hadn't really raced that much, but then runs a four flat this year. So is she still the woman to be? I kind of think she is, but... Then you've got Corey McGee and Nikki Hiltz have both been running well. But my, my other thing is New Balance Boston, they usually put someone in this team. 50% of the last two teams have, compo- have been comprised of New Balance Boston athletes, whether it's Ellie St. Pierre or Heather McLean. Heather McLean hasn't really raced much this year, but she's running. And then they have this new addition, Emily McKay, who's straight out of the McLean St. Pierre playbook of small school in the Northeast. She's making made a big jump. She's run 401 this year for 1500. She ran two flat in the 15 in pouring rain and conquered. Could she get on this team? So I kind of see, I think, and then you've got Addie Wiley, the 19 year old in there as well. So it's going to be quite a battle for those spots. Cause you know, you, I think they're all kind of a step behind the, the best in the world. There's such a gap from Kipyegon, Sagai, Hassan. Then you've got the Ethiopians. And then you've probably got the Americans who are all in the four flat to 401 range. But they're all fairly close to each other, which should make for a good race. Do any, do any of those names stand out to you? Like, do you think... I, I, would, I picked Sinclair Johnson. I think she'll win. But do you have any hates there you want to fire off, Robert? I think, I think you and I are the same. Sinclair, Corey, Nikki Hiltz. Hills has been running great, but then when I heard Mark Hogan told you Heather McLean's in awesome shape, I was like, oh, this is fun. This is going to be good. Uh, I'll think Mo make the final or not. I, I think that's about as far as she'll go. I, I actually said she won't make the final. You think she will? Yeah, I think so. I just look at it like her time at Milrose last year, if she just held on another 100 meters, she runs 407, which, you know, that's not going to worry some of these other women but she's i think that will be good enough given her, like especially since it'll, they'll be kicking at the end i think it's good enough to get in the final so 
It's interesting to me that Joseph Andrews, formerly Joseph Norris, is not running the 1500. She's running the 5000 fresh. And this is basically the same decision that she's now a member of the On Athletics Club. This is what happened in, in the trials in 2021. She ran the 5000 at the trials, bombed it, and then starts running the 1500 on the circuit, got like top five at the Diamond League final, broke four. People are like, oh, they made a mistake. Why did they run her in the 1500? This is the second elite coach that has seen her every day in practice and thought she's not, she should not be in the 1500 despite the fact in a perfectly paced race she can run like four flat, 359. She needs to be in the five, where I think she's running the 1440s. I've seen her in races, Robert. She got smoked by Hiltz and McGee in Oslo. So she lost by three seconds to them. Uh, I thought, like, in retrospect, you look how well she ran in the 1500 in the second half of 2021, and you're like, oh, she should have run the 1500 at the trials. But the way she was going into that meet, I thought her best bet was in the 5K. And based on what she's done this year, she's got the second time in the 5K in the US this year, 1443. Uh, I think, it, and there is a lot more uncertainty with the top women, like Carissa Schweizer, Elise Cranny. I think if they're both 100% healthy, you'd say, okay, they're better than Josette Andrews. And I know that Alicia Munson, I feel quite confident, will beat Josette Andrews, her OAC teammate. But Schweizer hasn't raced all year. Cranny hasn't run well this year. I can understand why they would say, hey, you better bet for making a team would be the 5K. It'll be interesting to see how those Bowerman women do. You know, Jager's out. If Fisher, I think Fisher's going to have a resurgent meet here. I think he's going to do well the rest of the year, but if he doesn't, the critics will come out. But, you know, that get, that brings us to women's steeplechase. Emma Coburn has won eight in a row, I think. She's won every one, she's every USA title, every USA she's ever run, 10, I think, total. Yeah, she's 10-0 at USA's, which is one of the most r- ridiculous stats in track and field. I mean, Emma Coburn deserves so much credit for that but Record Courtney Wayman's run like six or seven seconds faster Courtney Fryricks the American record holder has only run one race it was like a 418 1500 now I saw on Instagram she said she's ready to go I talked to her agent Tom Ratcliffe he said she's ready to go she said she said a PB practice PB whatever that means so when I analyzed this race I had the same team as last year no no yes yeah Coburn, Wayman, and Frerichs. Same team. And I've got Coburn winning again. And my, my logic, John, was simple. She's won eight in a row. I know all streaks eventually have to end. I mean, look at USATF's streak on being broadcast on NBC. That's ended this year. But she was ahead of Wayman. Wayman lost her first steeple. First of all, at the beginning of the year, two, not one of the big three. Pretty good. And then they go to the Diamond League. Coburn falls. She's still ahead of Wayman heading into the last lap. And gets, you know, there was a big gap on the last lap. But look, even a sort of an off year so far, Coburn's run 405 for the 1500. Wayman's a 413 woman. 412 is her PB, I think. And I was just like, Coburn doesn't have to try to run super fast. Only two of her wins at USA's have, have ever been under 915. Admittedly, they were the last two years, 909 and 910. But I'm like, she can just run relaxed. 
and then try to slam it home due to what Wayman, what Wayman did to her at, at the diamond league. So that'll be exciting. How do you see the women's five and 10 breaking down, John? You kind of mentioned it, but I haven't read your preview. I know it's, you said I need to edit it. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't totally finished it yet, Robert. So you're all right there, but the, the 10 K it's an even worse situation than the five K because sorry, than the men's 10 K because there are only three women with the standard. Monson, Cranny, and Schweizer. The standard's really hard. It's 34D. And I don't think there's a window for anyone to get in on world rankings because of these cross-country spots that are going to random Brazilians who... But you think they're all going to go. I don't think they're all going to be sent. What do you mean? Oh, but... Okay, these federations might turn down the spots, but USATF can't say that with any certainty. USATF isn't going to say, oh, we'd like to send these people if a world ranking spot opens up. But otherwise, we want to spend set these people. They're just going to say we're taking the certainty of the three people we know have the standard. Well, but you enter four, right? So if somebody's in the top three without the standard, they could be entered. They don't get in, and we go to the fourth placer. So that person, you know, I think one or two people will end up getting in on standards. So could anyone could could a Kaladi or? Yeah, I get. I mean. Based on world rankings, there are a few women who could get in. It would be Kaladi would be in position, Natasha Rogers or Fiona O'Keefe are all ranked pretty highly. So, yeah, maybe that situation could happen. Um, it would be it would be basically those three or Monson, Cranny, and Schweizer, the women with the standard. I think I think Monson's a slam dunk here. I mean, Carissa Schweizer. Maybe I'm being a little disrespectful because she won this event last year. She has historically had a better kick than Monson. She, you know, basically just sat and kicked on her last year. But Monson has been running incredible. She set the American record in this event in March. Schweizer hasn't raced at all. You give me those two options, I'm going to take the one who's been on fire and has been running really well on the Diamond League circuit too. That's Monson. Crane, Schweizer, the huge question marks. And Rogers, O'Keefe, and Kaladi, I mean, there's all of the, those three women have all run personal best in the 5K and 10K this year. So they're in the shape of their life. And if Cranny and Schweizer aren't on that game, they're going to be going to take them down. But if they are on that game, both of them have run more than 30 seconds faster than anyone else in the field apart from Monson. So kind of like, is Schweizer or Cranny, are they close to their best? If they are, they make the team. If not, they're going to be vulnerable. I feel better about Schweizer than Cranny, ironically, because Schweizer hasn't raced. But Craney's race and her race did not go well uh, at UCLA. So that, to me, is a little bit more worrying. Well, it should be a fun one. Yeah, they're all coming back for the 5K as well. So it's basically most of those women plus Andrews, Infeld, and Ellie Hennis. Uh, that, that's going to be really good. And Caitlin Tui's in there as well. Um, the 5K... Most of those women have the standard, and you can still chase it afterwards. It's fourteen fifty-seven. It's a little bit more attainable. So that's really going to be a one where you know top three is going to be very important because I think everyone has the capability of getting the standard. But John, if we don't get the prediction contest up in two days, which I don't think is going to happen, you and I need to go on record, make our picks, put them on the forum so people can see them. I didn't like how you totally discussed, discussed, dismissed my girl Michaela Rose in the women's eight hundred. 
think I have her making the team. I've got my guy, Anthony Rochich, making the men's staple. Got to just put that out there. I've got Kenneth Rooks, the NCAA champion, winning it. I'm going to apologize to Sports Club member Dan Machowski. I didn't pick him on the team. My God. Picked Bernard Keeter. But Dan, when you make the team, I'll say, I got your back. I got your back. You know, I record several episodes of this podcast. And then I can pull out the one I need after the fact, kind of like they used to do in the Soviet Union. Well, Robert, the funny thing is, like last week, we had our big discussion who makes the team in the 1500 meters. I noted that the Coffee Club podcast drew, I think they drew inspiration from that. They saw a poll on the homepage of who would go home devastated, and they decided to have their own conversation about who would go home devastated in the 1500. So you're welcome for the, t- for the topic idea, guys. I enjoyed the discussion, but I didn't bring up Centro's name at all. We didn't mention him once on our podcast about the men's 1500 team. And I'm not picking him to make the team, but not saying his name at all when he's the Olympic champion, when he ran 336, huge disrespect. I can't believe I, I didn't remember to mention him. We always say like, oh, just one good race from Centro. He has that great tactical ability. He knows how to make teams. So I just want to throw it out there. It wouldn't totally blow me away if he made the team. I know it's t- a stacked event, but that guy's a fantastic championship racer. He's never gone out for a team. USA's in the 1500 and failed to make it. So I just, I don't want to be accused of like Centro slander or Centro disrespect. If he makes it, he's got to win it and he's got to put up the shh. That would be epic. I don't think it's happening, but it's fun to think about. All right. Can't wait for USA's. Sign up for supporters, call everybody. Let's run.com slash subscribe. You'll get the daily podcast. We're not sure when we're doing them. We'll make a decision shortly. Check them out. Also, don't forget, get your t-shirt, shop.letsrun.com, July 4th. Church are only 30. They're going to be 20. If it's after July 4th, enter the code USA. I'll keep it up for a few days. All right. Have a safe trip, John. Thanks, Robert. Told to you from Eugene.